Today is March 9th, 2021, and our first story, the entire Nevada Democratic Party staff has resigned after Democratic Socialists won every party leadership seat. This suggests the culture war is still in full swing. Leftist populists and progressives are seeking to upend the Democratic Party and take over. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is still viewed as the leader of the Republican Party. The establishment is on the ropes, and it suggests things may actually just be on a path towards escalation. Our next story, a woke, corrupt journalist is being called out over old, offensive tweets that may result in her not getting her job. And it may seem silly and maybe a bit asinine. But this is an example of extreme media corruption, a journalist who violated several journalistic ethics being rewarded with an editor in chief position now being attacked over 10 year old tweets she made when she was like 17 years old, which leads us to our last story. Mass layoffs are sweeping across media. Huffington Post has announced they're going to be issuing some layoffs. People are furious, but the Trump slump is here without Donald Trump to rile everybody up. It seems like this golden era of rage bait leftist journalism is coming to an end. Well, let's jump into that first story. The entire staff of the Nevada Democratic Party has quit after a Democratic Socialist slate won every seat. The Intercept reports the battle between insurgent progressives in Nevada and the Harry Reid machine began building in 2016. The entire staff of the Democratic Party in Nevada, every single one of them, this is insane. I'll tell you why it's particularly insane. For one, we've known that the populist insurgents are trying to take over both wings of the party. The mainstream media establishment typically won't scream about this because they don't like the corporate establishment Democrats. Interestingly, many of the conservative outlets don't like corporate establishment Republicans either. The thing is, mainstream media tends to be much more dominated by progressive populist leftist types than corporate establishment Democrats, though they do exist in the media quite a bit. They're not going to attack themselves. So for the most part, they kind of ignore this stuff. But I'll tell you, man, the culture war sure is getting a whole lot worse, right? I mean, the Dr. Seuss thing, and I'm not talking about Dr. Seuss Enterprises saying we're not going to publish these books that I get. Sometimes books stop getting published and maybe someone else would pick it up in the public domain when it hits the public domain, whatever. I'm talking about eBay and like libraries banning the book while still selling things like Mein Kampf. Sure, that's allowed. This is really, really weird. I'll tell you what I love about this, too. First, I'm not going to read the Intercepts article just because it goes into the history of the conflict between the progressives and the Democrats. And that's more of a it's it's a long form thing. I don't think we need to get into the nitty gritty details. We have the actual shortened version from Fox News. Nevada Democratic Party staff quits after Democratic Socialists sweep party leadership positions. Every candidate except one was a dues paying member of a local Democratic Socialists of America. But I want to point out something absolutely hilarious from The Washington Post. The Washington Post's op-ed section, in a desperate bid to make it seem like everything's getting better, Biden is rolling back the culture war. The country should thank him. Oh, he's rolling it back, huh? I just didn't notice that the entire Democratic staff in Nevada just quit. That's a that that's that's crazy. Check this out from Roll Call. Mind you, these are NewsGuard certified official sources. 
they say factions on the left and right are standing down for now. Democratic moderates and progressives, Republican Trumpists and Trump critics are all more focused on the opposition party. That's just not true. (laughs) Not at all. Donald Trump just gave a speech at CPAC where he was like, get them rhinos out of there. The entire staff of the Nevada Nevada Democratic Party just quit. So I'll read this. But first, we got to look at what's going on with this with this Democratic Party. Fox News reports the entire Nevada Democratic Party has quit. We know this. The party's executive director, Alana Mounts, sent an email to Judith Whitmer, who won a spot as the party's chair on Saturday, notifying Whitmer that she and other staff members were resigning. That included the party's operations director, research director, communications director, and finance director, The Intercept reported Monday. Whitmer had run as part of the the, uh, Nevada Democrats' progressive slate in opposition to the progressive unity slate run by the Democratic Party. Quote, we weren't really surprised and that we were prepared for it, Whitmer told The Intercept. But what hit us by surprise was sort of shocking uh, and was sort of shocking is that for a slate that claimed that they were all about unity and kept this false narrative of division going on throughout the entire campaign. In fact, they kept intensifying that. That's what was surprising about it was the willingness to just walk away instead of working with us. A former party staffer indicated to The Intercept that Whitmer would reverse progress seen in the party. Quote, I knew it couldn't work with her and watch her destroy the years of hard work so many operatives put into making our state party the best state party in the country. The anonymous staffer said the incident reflected longstanding tension within the party, which has seen conflict between more establishment members like Hillary Clinton and progressives like Senators Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, who identifies as a Democratic socialist. Yeah, kind of. But Bernie's not really a socialist. He, I guess he kind of is. It's hard to say. You don't know what their true intentions, what they're really thinking are. But Bernie's typically been in favor of capitalism for a long time. The Democratic Socialists of America, along with the left caucus, reportedly ran the Nevada Democratic uh, Dems progressive slate for leadership with every candidate except one as a dues paying member of a local DSA. That's crazy. So what what was roll call saying? The factions are standing down. It's absolutely just not true. And it's really strange to see a story like this and also see the story from The Washington Post where they're like, Biden is rolling back the culture war. I think we can see now it's worse than ever. Check this out from the Hill. Are progressives pushing the Democrats too far left to win? From February 24th, when was this, this WAPO article from March 7th? Did, did, did they ignore that it's only getting worse? How about this? From Politico, how the left plans to shrink the Democratic establishment. I think it's fair to say that the culture wars are ramping up. I mean, the, the, the purge has been particularly severe. We recently saw, well, like I mentioned, Dr. Seuss. But there's also been bannings across the board of a bunch of different, you know, uh, uh, political channels, progressive channels, for instance. The culture war is getting worse. It's getting absolutely worse. YouTube took down every single speech by Don, every single every video of Donald Trump giving a speech at CPAC was taken down as far as I understand it. Some people were given strikes for simply uploading it. Uh, uh, right Side Broadcasting Network, which live streamed it, got a strike. And now apparently they have like a two week suspension for simply showing President Donald Trump or former president, whatever you want to call him, speaking. And he may run in 2024. In that speech, Donald Trump said the rhinos, you know, he criticized Liz Cheney as a warmonger. I'm sorry. The establishment is collapsing. Maybe that's why they're running these stories. Maybe these stories are more of a desperate bid 
to get people to stop fighting. But I will tell you, who's going to believe it? You take a look at what's going on with the Democratic Party and what the Intercept writes. The Intercept writes this very, uh, particularly long article breaking down how it happened and why it happened. And we, we, we just need the finer points, like the, the base details. Among progressives and the far left, they know they are at war with the Democratic establishment. And of course, they're at war with Trump and Trump supporters. The, for the media to write these stories, the only thing this will really do is get moderate Democrats to stand down and let these progr- the progressives and the left populists kind of do their thing. To put it another way, I don't see a scenario where Antifa types, socialists, DSA, tankies, all these people just go, oh, uh, Biden's rolling back the culture war. I guess we can just uh, sit back now and relax. No, they're going to be like, Biden's weak. Get him. When they tell us, you know, factions on the left and right are standing down, it's the moderate Democrats and the moderate Republicans who typically support the generic corporate political line who are going to be like, I guess we're good. Here's where this all leads to. And this is what has me worried. There's an article that appeared in the uh, Epic Times about the why we may actually need secession. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of arguing for secession. I, I'm a, an opponent of this idea of secession. But we are seeing more and more calls for the U.S. to have a peaceful divorce or breakup. Think about what just happened in Nevada. The entire Democratic staff quit because socialists won. What do you think happens when you have a socialist Democratic Party? And their principal endeavors are going to be socialist policy. Like, I think one of the things Bernie Sanders proposed was uh, all corporations must set aside 20 percent of like shares for the, the staff members to receive a bonus or whatever, which is not absolute socialism. But we are getting to the point where the workers control the means of production, right, which is socialism. What happens when you have very staunchly socialist left and very staunchly capitalist right, individualist right versus collectivist left? And there's no, let's call it a corporate bond between the Democrats and the Republicans. For all the problems we have with the corruption of the Uniparty, which is the Democrats, the Republicrats, at least they aren't burning the entire country to the ground in the sense that they're not, you know, attacking each other. They may be burning the country to the ground in other ways, which is maybe what led to this moment. And they have not, they have only themselves to blame. The constant inability to actually litigate, like actually, uh, work on policies and laws to help the people of this country results in people becoming fed up, getting angry, and then voting for someone like Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't speak to many on the left, but Bernie Sanders does. So they choose Bernie. And then all of a sudden you have these very diametrically opposed worldviews ready to go to war. The Democrats are faltering. Roll call may want to claim otherwise, but I'm sorry, that's just not the case. Let me read this from Politico and give you some, some, some breakdown. They say progressives are aggressively contesting upcoming special elections in deep blue house districts. The goal, electing the most liberal members possible. I can't stand colloquial uh, colloquialisms in politics, I suppose, or however you want to describe it. Liberals. These people aren't liberals, dude. On the IRL podcast last night, we had uh, Clifton Duncan, who is a liberal. And he's pro-free speech. He voted for Trump. Surprise, surprise. And they'll say, you can't be. You're a fascist. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Stop. Liberals believe in individualism and freedom and mutual respect and things like this. So a lot of people will claim they're classical liberals. A lot of people will accuse me of being a classical liberal. I, in fact, am not a classical liberal. As I often say, I am a social liberal. Social liberals believe in the civil rights movement, Dr. King's dream, issues of social justice. Like, real ones. But it's about civil liberties, 
liberties, liberalism, liberty, liberal. Get it? True liberals are like, hey, man, you know, live and let live. These people are authoritarians. Politico calls them liberals. No, I'm sorry. Authoritarians who want a command economy, which is inherently authoritarian, are the ones taking over. Let's talk about left libertarianism real quick before I read this to, to help you understand why. No, none of, none of those people like AOC. I'm sorry. She's not libertarian. She's authoritarian. Bernie Sanders is authoritarian. Left libertarianism can't work in large scales. I'm sorry. I'm a left libertarian. I'm in that quadrant of the political compass, but it doesn't exist in large scales because you ultimately end up forcing people to do something and you end up with widespread dissent. It may be a small percentage of those who actually live in, a, in, in an area, but you can't be pro-freedom and liberty while also pointing a gun at someone's face to say, do it or else. And therein lies the big problem. At any point in which someone who is on the left side of the libertarian spectrum or, or of the political compass says, I want to gain power through an electoral process without unanimity and then tell people how they should live. That's when you enter the authoritarian spectrum. So that's why, although I am uh, left leaning on a lot of issues, I'm, I'm fairly centrist because I recognize why you, you do need a mixed economy. You do. Need, and, and so I'm, I'm fairly centrist, right? I'm not all the way down in the anarchist side of the political compass. I'm like fairly in the middle. But I lean towards liberty, meaning if you want someone to do something, you must come to a compromise and agreement so you don't get to have your socialist utopia where you seize the means of production because seizing something is inherently authoritarian, that you have the authority to dictate what you can own and what other people get access to. So all of these people on the left, they say they're progressives. I shouldn't say all of them. There are some people that I think are good to varying degrees, are actually on the left. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't vote and don't have a, a, a constitutional republic type system. There are many prominent progressives who lean libertarian, want to have the arguments and the conversations. But typically, what do we get? Subversive tactics, violent riots, respecting the diversity of tactics, they say. So when you see these, these widespread riots with Antifa smashing windows and buildings, and they say, yeah, but other people are protesting peacefully, so you're saying that you have joined the sides of those who are willing to commit these atrocities? Well, maybe atrocity is a bit too far, but I, I think burning down, you know, uh, large portions of a city and, and, and burning down black neighborhoods in Atlanta qualifies as atrocities, at least to a certain degree. Not the worst possible. But I remember that rapper in Atlanta who was like screaming, like, why are you burning down black businesses? That's a good question. Why were these white Antifa types going into these neighborhoods and vandalizing minority neighborhoods? Yeah, because they're authoritarians. They want you to bend the knee and do as you're told. And the rest of these people who protest peacefully provide shield and cover, and they need to call it out. They don't do it. Here's what Politico says. They say progressive, uh, Washington hasn't paid much attention to the handful of upcoming special elections in deep blue house districts. There's little reason. It's a near certainty the seat will elect a Democrat. But progressives are keeping close tabs. And they are aggressively contesting the races in an effort to stop establishment-oriented Democrats from claiming the offices. The elections come at, at, at a critical time on the Hill. As lawmakers debate top liberal priorities, such as a $15 minimum wage, student loan debt forgiveness, and police reform, progressives want to elect the most liberal members. If it was really about being the most liberal members, you'd have a bunch of people being like, I don't I don't think we can force people to do anything and seize their resources to get the job done. We have to ask them to do it. But that's inherently, I guess, that there's the paradox of, of left libertarianism. It's very, very difficult to be left libertarian. 
It's really easy to be left authoritarian and right authoritarian. And I got to be honest, it's also really easy to be uh, uh, right libertarian. The right libertarians are like, I don't know if you can afford it and someone agrees to do it. So be it. It's done. On the left, you have to sit down in a little circle with a bunch of hippies and wiggle your fingers until everyone agrees. It's, it, doesn't ex- it doesn't work on large scales. So now what they're saying is they want, they want to take money from poor working class people and use it to pay off the debts of the highest income earners in the country. Think about this. I hear a lot of people on the left talking about student loan forgiveness. Now, first, I'm in favor of student loan forgiveness to a certain degree. I think interest rates uh, on all student loans should be like abolished, I guess is one way to put it. You still have to pay back the principal, but no more accruing interest. You can still defer if you're, if you're in, in dire straits, but you do have to pay this back. You got the money, you spent the money, you got to pay it back. But I do think student loans are predatory. And I think the first thing we have to do is stop the loans from being given out in the first place. Then we can talk about forgiveness. But that's not what they're proposing. The left is telling, you know, Biden to just wipe out $50,000 in debt. That would be akin to the government giving the wealthiest, highest income earners in the country a check for 50 grand. It makes no sense. Why should working class taxpayers give their money up to a higher class? College educated people make more money. So you're saying the dude who works at a welding shop and makes, you know, 70 percent of what the college educated guy makes, you know, uh, working in in an office in New York, he's got to pay taxes to cover the education of somebody who makes more money. That is a transfer of wealth from the poor to the upper class. And I'm not a fan of this. I am a fan of getting rid of the interest rates, though, because that's really bogging down people. So the point is, you have these progressives who want to seize power from the Democratic establishment to do things like that, which would just be detrimental to everybody. It is a group of bougie, urban, upper class liberals who claim they're impoverished and suffering. And in reality, they just don't realize how good they have it. Don't get me wrong. I understand. Healthcare is expensive. It's hard to get for everybody. I understand they may be living in crappy apartments in a big city. They may look at houses in the middle of the country and say, look at that big house you have. And you're like, dude, go live in the middle of nowhere. The reality is people who live in New York are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Not the homeless ones, obviously. They still are fairly wealthy, even as a homeless person, because of their access to clean water and resources. But I understand poverty exists. I understand there are people in New York struggling to make ends meet. I understand all of that. I just don't see why. This idea is to cut a check, essentially, to all of these people who are the higher income earners. So if that's the case, why not just write a check to literally everybody for 50 grand and say, have at it? Because you can't do it. Because I think that would, the total cost of that would be like, what would that be? 16.505 trillion? I think the number would be 16. Is it 16 trillion? I could, I, I'm, I'm not a, you know, calculator, so I can't give you the exact math. But it would be like the most absurd amount of money ever. We'd just printing mass money and then it would just cause rapid inflation. That's the problem. It's authoritarian. Anyway, I digress. Quote, they say, the progressive movement is largely judged by the number of seats it holds in Congress. So whenever you can add more seats, that gives you more power, said Walid Shahid, a communications director for the Justice Democrats, another top left wing group. Since the election of the squad, we've seen a more aggressive and assertive block of Congress reform. I'll point something out. What does it mean to be left? Do you have to support these people and their power grabs? I guess I guess so, because I can say all day and night, I think the Republican Party is sad and ineffective and bad. I can say Mitch McConnell is is bad. I can say Lindsey Graham is bad. I can say the Repu- uh, Republican, par- uh, uh, Republican leadership is an oxymoron. 
and their do nothing corporate establishment trash, the same as the Democratic Party. The difference being the Democrats do bold things like we want universal health care. Everyone should pay. And the Republicans just say, slow down there, Democrats. Maybe maybe we need to make a, a T-shirt of Mitch McConnell saying that. When has Mitch McConnell ever argued in favor of universal gun ownership? When has any Republican done that? And I understand a lot of people are saying, yeah, well, Republicans don't want to impose. They want to stop imposition. Okay, then when has any Republican come out and proposed a bill that would erase all gun legislation or rescind a bunch of gun bans? They don't do it. They typically support gun restrictions. They're not arguing in favor of conservatives. They're essentially just Democrat light. They obstruct. They do certain things to appease their base and then ultimately nothing. The Democratic Party pushes and pushes and pushes, and it gets worse and worse and worse. The more aggressive, they say, the more aggressive, the most high profile race is taking place in Ohio, where Sanders' former campaign co-chair Nina Turner faces Cuyahoga County Democratic Party leader Chantel Brown. But that's not the only flashpoint, Louisiana, and they mentioned a bunch of other places. They go on to talk about what they, what they want to do, but I'll put it this way. They are going to gain more seats. In the meantime, the media will start screaming that Trumpists have gained more seats as well. Look how they scream about Marjorie Taylor Greene. They really hate her. There was a hashtag going viral on Twitter. Uh, it, said, Rep, Rep, uh, it said Rep Lauren Boebert for prison or something like that. You see how the, the rhetoric is expanding. When the entire Nevada Democratic staff quits because DSA has won. When I tell you, right, this is, this is really this is so fascinating to me. Robert Barnes tweeted that Michael Malice and Tim Cast are starting to look like Sears because we've talked a lot about how people are pushing secession. Well, Michael Malice is the one who said we need a peaceful divorce. I haven't even said that. I've said John Podesta, the Democratic Party, said it's better the West Coast secede from the union than Donald Trump win. Republicans in many different states have said the same thing. And I have these leftists saying Tim Poole was so dumb, you know, keeps talking about civil war. <laughs> what an idiot. So I had, we had Ryan Long, the comedian. He's great, by the way, on the IRL podcast. And the first thing he says when the show starts is like, you were telling me all about the Civil War. Where is it? And I was like, bro, hundreds of people just stormed into the Capitol building in D.C., right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So all of these leftists are like, Tim Pool talking about Civil War. Well, where is it? It's like, um, didn't you just try and claim that the president incited an insurrection? Like, isn't that the precipice or like, actions engaged in some kind of unrest between factions to take over control of a government. I'm not saying Donald Trump actually did incite anything. I'm just saying that's what they're claiming. So now when we have the expansion of the progressives in the Democratic Party taking more and more seats, you know you are going to get conservatives screaming the commies, the socialists are taking over. The villainization of the other is is here. It's obvious like I mentioned, you know, they, they want Lauren Boebert in prison. And so what happens when there's no more uniparty shaking hands and petting each other on the back? Well, for all their corruption, they are the ones who have sown this and now they will reap it and we will all reap it. And it's partly our fault. If you're looking for the guilty party, you need only look in a mirror. For decades, we have just blindly gone along checking the R or the D on the box, not knowing exactly what we were getting ourselves into. And then a bunch of pathetic and feckless politicians come into power. They do nothing. It's performative. And it results in anger and dismay and chaos. The Republicans refused to regulate when they had the power, big tech, and they could have done it. And it could have stopped this fire from raging out of control. They won't do it. The Democrats won't do it either because they want to manipulate the fire thinking they can win. They can use it. But my friends, the chaos is the one ring. You cannot wield it. No one can. 
and they keep thinking they can. In the end, people are going to start tearing at each other's throats. It starts here. So you want to talk about whether civil war and all that stuff. Let me just say, as I always say in every disclaimer, this may just be hyperbole. Everything may calm down. It may result in a whole lot of nothing. I don't know. I can't predict the future. But when we go from fighting in the streets to fighting in the Capitol building, commissions, you know, FBI going and rounding up Trump supporters, a year of riots from the far left. They were throwing bombs at federal buildings at, at the federal courthouse in Portland. And now the entire Democratic staff in Nevada quits. I mean, come on, something is happening. This transformation, this metamorphosis is going to result in absolute chaos. When the Democratic Party is entirely comprised of progressive leftists and the Republican Party is the party of Trump, people will be at each other's throats worse than you've ever seen. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just looking at what just happened like, geez, that's crazy. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast. It is a different channel from this one. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Layoffs have been announced at the Huffington Post after being acquired by BuzzFeed. And this is not an isolated incident. We are seeing layoffs across the board in various different media companies, even some TV channels. It's not just news. But in the news space, this was entirely predictable. In the wake of the layoffs, we're seeing the Huffington Post Union express outrage that these people are losing their jobs. And this is how it usually goes with many left-wing publications, not realizing that money is not infinite and their job actually is an expense on the company. What we're witnessing now is the Trump bump turning into the Trump slump. The Trump bump, for those that aren't familiar, was when Donald Trump started, you know, tweeting up and acting a fool. The media milked every single thing he could do or even think like there were actually articles where they're like people familiar with Trump's thinking say this. There was an obsession with Donald Trump. He just is this media massive personality. Well, the demand for information, be it loving him or hating him, resulted in the Trump bump. Many news outlets started hiring people, making more money. Before Donald Trump, Twitter was collapsing. News outlets were laying people off like crazy. And then Trump came in and everything just erupted. But eventually, this became normalized. The Trump bump just became the status quo. These companies had people on staff whose whole, their entire job was just writing negative things about Donald Trump. Well, unfortunately for them, his Twitter got taken away. Now Trump can't tweet. Even still, we're nearly halfway through Biden's first 100 days. And you still go to the front page of like CNN and see Trump's name mentioned over and over again. And surprisingly, here I am talking about Donald Trump. Now we are witnessing the Trump slump without Donald Trump to talk about. Many of these people who were hired have no reason to be at these companies. So mass layoffs are sweeping across the board. But more importantly, revenue from advertisements is going down and viewership is going down at the same time. It's not just about Donald Trump. Let's be honest. People are burned out. I mean, views for literally everyone are going down. And with that, combined with a, de- a decline in ad rates because the election cycle's over, these companies aren't making money anymore. There's nothing left to milk. So there is a big question about this. If there's nothing left to grift off of, what will happen to these companies? How do they survive beyond what they are? I mean, people are not interested. They're kind of burned out from the election cycle. They're not hearing anything about Trump. So they're walking away. Axios reports that people are weaning off of news, and perhaps this could be bad 
for everyone, even conservatives. But in the end, I think it'll be the left that gets hit the hardest, at least perceivably, because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It was the left and the mainstream media corporate press that were hiring like crazy because Donald Trump made everyone angry. Now they're going to be the ones laying everybody off like crazy because there's nothing to complain about anymore. Or perhaps we will see something even more scary, even even worse, I should say. You see, without Donald Trump, do we think they'll just cease to exist? No, this is true for Trump supporters. I say this all the time. You think banning these people from the Internet makes them they just disappear? No, they'll become even more desperate. They'll start writing more and more insane articles. They will do whatever they can to inflame tensions because, well, if it bleeds, it leads. They call themselves vultures for a reason. One of the big stories I have for you is recently this. Uh, I think it was the CNN. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was uh, Warner Media was talking about how the, the covid was great for ratings. They love it. They love the chaos and the catastrophe. And now. Huffington Post is the first to feel the heat. But let's talk about this. We'll get into all the news and we'll start with the Trump slump. Before we do, head over to TimCast.com and become a member. You know, it's not just these layoffs. The Intercept, a progressive publication, announced their memberships have dropped more than ever before, basically, and they desperately need donations. Memberships for me are going way up. Subscribers are going way up. TimCast IRL, IRL is about to break a million, uh, million subscribers. Hey, we're doing really great and I'm hiring people. So think about what that means. Go to TimCast.com, become a member, get and you will get access to exclusive members only segments and episodes. We've got a bunch of really great people that you know and love talking about a bunch of philosophical issues, God, DMT, Marxism, etc. If you become a member at TimCast.com, you're helping support my work. But let me let me use this in, in this segment. We're doing great. We're growing. Why is it that my channel, my company is doing better than ever. Now, months out with Donald Trump being gone, we're doing better than ever. Views are a little down in some areas, but for Timcast IRL, they're way up. So we're doing great. What was it about these leftist publications? They can't survive anymore. I don't do endless content about Joe Biden for the most part. I do talk about him quite a bit, but not in the same way that they talked about Trump. Is it that the people who watch this kind of content are legitimate uh, legitimately interested in real subjects, real conversations. And to the best of my abilities, what I view as a more moderate view on politics, perhaps that's the reason. There was a segment Joe Rogan did a, a, a while back where he was talking with someone and they said, whoever starts this middle ground approach to covering news is going to do extremely well. And maybe that's it. Maybe people are sick and tired of the lies and the smears and the culture war fights. If that were completely true, they wouldn't necessarily be watching my content. But I will say this, you guys who are members over at TimCast.com, you rock and we're growing better. We're getting bigger. We're growing faster. I got more people coming on. We've got more content on the way. It's fantastic. We're having the opposite of layoffs. Well, here's the news. First, let's start with this from MediaPost.com. News sites show early signs of post-Trump slump. They mentioned initially, Warner Media CEO Jason Kylar last week apologized for telling attendees at a virtual tech conference that the coronavirus pandemic was really good for ratings of its network. The comment was insensitive to millions who have suffered hardship during the health crisis. That's absolutely right. Axios points out nearly halfway through Biden's first 100 days, data shows that Americans are learning to wean themselves off of news and especially politics. Why it matters? The department of former President Trump's once ubiquitous presence in the news cycle has reoriented the country's attention. They say 
Nearly every big news site saw its traffic decline in February compared to a tumultuous January that included the Capitol insurrection and Biden's inauguration. Publishers traffic was down across the board and many major sites saw traffic dip more than 20 percent, according to data from traffic analytics company SimilarWeb. Politics consumption dropped most dramatically, tumbling 28 percent. Think about this. A, a month in, people are just absolutely taking off. They're saying, I'm not interested in this. And that's going to be bad news for all these big media companies. Here we go. BuzzFeed announces deep cuts to Huffington Post staff after acquisition. I'm going to read the story, but I'm going to start with some tweets from those who got laid off because this was particularly brutal. No, I'm, I'm Huffington Post, man. Absolutely brutal. BuzzFeed and Huffington Post laid people off in an extremely brutal fashion. Let me explain. Laura Bassett, she uh, I believe um, uh, she she's a politics writer for GQ tweets. Huffington Post employees, after a year of working through a pandemic that isn't over, were invited to a meeting today with the password, quote, spring is here, where they were told 47 of them would be laid off. They would only know if they still had a job if they didn't receive an email by one. She says this is cruel and psychotic and ridiculous. Perhaps these people need to realize these are major corporations. They don't care about your politics. They don't care about your social justice. They care about making money. And if they aren't making money and they can't afford to keep you on or it's cutting into their profits, they will terminate you. But I will agree with Laura like, wow, man, inviting all the employees into a meeting and saying 47 of you are going to be laid off. Find out next time at, you know, at 1 p.m. And it's like it's like a drawing straws. Look, you pull people aside and you, you tell them, I'm sorry to inform you, but we're laying you off. You don't do a big meeting where you're like, which who's it going to be? Which one of you is going to get laid off? And that's what they did because these companies are sick. They're brutal. Look, I'm not a big fan of a lot of these leftists, rage bait, anti-Trump writers where their whole existence is predicated upon just being angry and smack talking Trump supporters. But I will blame the corporations that build these jobs and create this environment and then do this. Like, maybe this will be a lesson to all of these people who are getting laid off. How, how like sick this is. Well, the Huffington Post Union tweeted out a thread saying, today we learned that 33 of our unit members, nearly 30 percent of our unit are being laid off. Our union statement, quote, we are devastated and infuriated, particularly after an exhausting year of covering a pandemic and working from home. This is also happening less than a month after Huffington Post was acquired by BuzzFeed. We never got a fair shot to prove our worth. These layoffs reiterate the importance of forming a union and advocating for our colleagues. We are glad that we are protected by a collective bargaining agreement and that our colleagues will receive severance. Our union will continue fighting to make Huffington Post a more just and equitable workplace, including pushing for clear and accountable commitments for to hiring and promoting more people of color and for transparency around pay equity. They're feeling the heat. I don't blame the union. I mean, they're going to fight for their their union members that I understand. But can I just point out something, you know, simple. If the company doesn't make money because there's nothing to write about and your job was an illusion from the beginning, what's what what should happen? What should these companies do? It's like many of these leftists don't seem to understand that there's an income, there's revenue streams, and then there's expenses. If the company is making $60,000 off of you as an individual for what you write, and they're paying you $60,000, they're probably going to say, we pay more in taxes. There's no point in having them. 
Sometimes they'll say, we'll take a loss on this writer or this, this staff member because the, the marketing benefit and the ubiquity of the content is still better. But ultimately, all of these companies know exactly what's about to happen. Donald Trump is gone. The Trump slump is here. And this is, I mean, it's going to hit everybody. Think about this. February 1st, Variety wrote CNN primetime ratings fall back to earth in, in first post-Trump week. They mentioned, while January 2021 will go down in ratings records book for CNN, the last week of the month may offer a portent of what the post-Trump era will be like for the network. In the first week of the Biden administration, the AT&T owned news channel saw the audience saw the audiences that had been flooding into primetime recently drop precipitously on January 25th to 29th compared with highs of previous weeks. Meanwhile, rival Fox News Channel saw its own ratings only dip slightly after weeks of registering its own sharp decline. I believe the total number was a drop of around 44%, it says. They say they, uh, see a variety intelligence platform analysis of the viewership data, the target news demographics for people aged 25 to 54, and the total audience watching shows that CNN ended the final week of January with a ratings dropping roughly 44% for total audience versus the prior week across all three hours of primetime. So is it any surprise that we're learning? Today, layoffs are slamming all of these companies. It's been a month. When we saw the ratings drop for CNN, did people, these people working in these companies, did they think it wasn't affecting them? Did they think that the, the, the bosses at the Huffington Post, Verizon, BuzzFeed, whatever, were sitting there just like ignoring the metrics to their own content? Everybody knows. Everybody saw this coming. So it was obvious. But I got to be real. We've been talking about this going back before the election. And many journalists actually, I think The Hill, wrote an article saying the Trump slump will come and news media will collapse. And here's where we are. It is. Check this out. So we have... Pandemic slam Sinclair broadcast group results in 5% layoffs. Sinclair, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bunch of local news outlets and they've been criticized for actually being conservative and being pro free speech. It's not just about these leftist publications. It's media in general, albeit it's many of the leftists who are shocked by this because they're the ones who seem to think for the most part that money just exists at these companies or that they could be able to prove their worth when the revenue, when the revenue stream shows it's not happening. I mean, take, take a look at this. We have this article from Variety pointing out how ratings for CNN dropped 44% at the end of January. You were given a month. They were looking at your numbers. They saw what you did this whole month, and they're like, that ain't it. Now we're learning even Sinclair's getting hit. This is from Media Post as well. They say, amid a recent eye-opening 7% decline in fourth quarter revenue, largely due to sinking ad sales, one of the biggest TV station companies, Sinclair Broadcast Group, is laying off about 5% of its staff the company said on Wednesday. We also have Jeff Zucker leaving CNN February 10th. Critics bemoan network's hyperpartisan turn. It's hitting everybody. You ready for this? Jeff Zucker is leaving. Jim Acosta, the White House guy who yelled at Trump all day and night, he's already off that beat. They put someone else there. We're seeing a dramatic shift. I think I think Brooke Baldwin, we also have Newsweek reports. Why is Brooke Baldwin leaving CNN? February 17th, Brooke Baldwin, one of their like major anchors and personalities is leaving the company. It could be for a lot of reasons, but we're seeing all of this sweep across the board. Check it out from The Intercept. They wrote this since Donald Trump left office on January 20th. Donations to The Intercept have gone down sharply after years of steady growth. Last month brought fewer new members than we've ever seen in more than two years. Similar trends are being reported across media and progressive politics. 
While Trump railed against journalists as the enemy of the people, grassroots outrage over Trump's corruption, racism and incompetence fueled a spike in ratings, subscriptions and fundraising that became known in the industry as the Trump bump. As reader support for The Intercept grew over the Trump years, tens of thousands of people chipping in five or ten bucks a month, we've been able to take on more and more ambitious and hard-hitting investigative reporting. But with Trump gone, we now face the question, will those Trump-era donations dry up? The answer is yes, of course it will. They say while the daily outrages and dumpster fire spectacle of Trump's White House have ended, systemic corruption and abuses of power continue, racist policing inhumane immigration enforcement, and invasive government surveillance haven't gone anywhere. The military-industrial complex and corporate lobbyists still dominate Washington, D.C. If you, like us, believe that the role of investigative journalism is just as important now than ever, we need you to become a member today. Well, they also got Glenn Greenwald to quit, and that's his company. I imagine with Glenn Greenwald leaving, many of these people who are giving donations to The Intercept switched to Glenn Greenwald's Substack. If you're not familiar, Substack is essentially like a YouTube style platform for people to write. Many prominent journalists, including Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, among others, have started writing for Substack, in which people can subscribe directly to their Substack for five, ten bucks a month or whatever. And all of that revenue is now going into the pocket of these individuals. Now, some of these people probably lost a lot of money. I think Glenn Greenwald mentioned that he's probably going to make way less doing Substack, at least for now. But if many people are leaving The Intercept because they don't want woke anti-Trump garbage and they want thoughtful think pieces from Glenn Greenwald, then guess who's going to make the money? My friends, we are witnessing a major correction in media. And I think Glenn Greenwald is evidence, Matt Taibbi is evidence, and my content is evidence. Now, of course, they may say that uh, I'm fairly biased, but whether, whether you, you, you know, the left is critical of my work, I'm fairly critical of the Democrats. Well, so is Glenn Greenwald. So, so is Matt Taibbi. We're certainly not the same. Those individuals are much more progressive and left than I am. But something's happening where there's a middle of the road approach saying no to all of this psychosis. And with the, the, the fleeting faux fans of these news outlets, they don't got any money to pay anybody anymore. Y'all made tons of cash ragging on Trump and fanning the flames of hate and division in this country for a long time. There are many on the right who did similar things, for sure. And now y'all are reaping the rewards. The facade is over. The mirage is gone. The veil has been lifted. The money that you had was always temporary. Yet at the same time, for Matt Taibbi, for people like Mike Tracy, Glenn Greenwald, for, for people like me, we're doing better than ever. Look, I can't speak for those, those three journalists. I don't, I don't know how well they're doing or how things are going. I know they're doing fairly well on Substack. There are many other writers that are doing uh, very well on there uh, as well. I do know that for us, I mean, we're hiring. We, we're, we're probably about to hire a couple more people. We're going to expand. We're going to do new shows. We're actually talking about doing a uh, not doing non uh, uh, I'm sorry, doing entertainment content, non news related stuff. The, 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 the expansion is great. You look at the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, they're now bran- branching off into entertainment. Whatever you want to say, call it conservative media and alternative and independent media. The individuals who did not tow the corporate line seem to be doing very, very well. And the establishment is on fire. This is from WWD.com. NBCU cuts more than 100 workers this year amid restructuring for March 5th. The media conglomerate continues to trim the ranks as it shifts to a focus on streaming content. Well, there's NBC, NBC laying off about 100 people. 
The Hallmark Channel parent Crown Media undergoes layoffs as part of restructuring. We're also seeing that layoffs are affecting the Hallmark Channel. I'm not going to pretend like the Hallmark Channel is some, you know, political outlet. I'm just saying media across the board is getting wrecked from the Seattle Times. Como lays off employees amid national cuts at Sinclair. This from just a couple of days ago. Bloomberg announces newsroom layoffs just about one month ago. Then we have Oregon Live layoffs at Portland KATU TV include Brian Wood and others just from last week. It is a wave, my friends, of people getting nuked. These outlets are being shut down. Check it out. I want to be fair. All right. Because that's what I do. I try to be fair. Vox says on January 27th, Fox News posts Trump slump explained for the first time in nearly 20 years. Fox News isn't the top rated cable news network. I believe Vox accurately points out Newsmax took over. That's about it. They have this tweet from Justin Barragona who says, what a difference four years make. In 2017, Fox News averaged 8.8 million viewers during its daytime inauguration coverage and 11.8 million for Trump's oath and speech. Yesterday, they pulled in 2.2 million for its daytime coverage and 2.7 million for Biden's speech. Let me just point something out. Newsmax came in and many people abandoned Fox for political reasons. There is not a very big demographic for watching outlets like Fox News. So while I think Tucker was enjoying the highest primetime ratings ever, about 5 million views per night, what we ended up seeing was outrage over Tucker questioning Sidney Powell. And Tucker was right, by the way. Sidney was wrong. This resulted in a large portion of his audience splitting and going to Newsmax and One American News. So it wasn't that these companies were necessarily being hurt by a Trump slump. Sort of. They were just dividing up the small audience that they had in the first place. You then look at NBC, CBS, ABC, you know, the New York Times, all of these these really, really big companies, and they are all being slammed. I think it'd be important for Vox to accurately point that out. But this is what we can expect. We can expect mass layoffs to sweep through all of these companies. The Columbia Journalism Review says five big findings from the Journalism Crisis Project, March 3rd. They say in March of 2020, the Tau Center for Digital Journalism began tracking newsroom cutbacks in the wake of the pandemic. The tracker's map tells part of the story, part of the story of journalism's ongoing crisis, an upheaval that hurt newsrooms, journalists, and by straining journalism's margins, the communities that those newsrooms and journalists are in charge to serve. Now, I'm not super concerned about the findings. I just wanted to basically highlight there is something called the Journalism Crisis Project. And I'll point out now, what are we seeing? It's not really the Trump slump. I don't think Trump has much to do with it for the most part. What I think we're seeing is that Donald Trump saved everybody for about four years. Oh, I know. Trigger all the leftists who hate Trump who are angry. No, no, he was wrong. and made to fight him. I'm sorry. The economy was doing really well in 2019. It was being heralded as the, the greatest numbers of our generation, the greatest numbers of our lives. And news media, which was collapsing in 2014, changed course, started seeing more revenue, hiring more people. What really happened is that Donald Trump actually just inflated everything culturally for a few years and created this Trump world. So you know what I, you know what I was saying back in October? I said this before the election. The most important thing for the left, the best thing for the left would be a Donald Trump victory. But they didn't want to listen. They wanted to claim that I was wrong and that I was crazy and that I was supporting the, the, the Cheeto dictator or whatever. Let me explain it. 
with Donald Trump in office, progressives and establishment Democrats were, were partly unified. Progressives were willing to support the establishment. So Nancy Pelosi and CNN and these establishment players desperately needed Trump to win. Trump had saved Twitter. Twitter was bleeding users. It was awful. Their stock was falling. I had many people saying, put options, put options. I'm not a big stock person. So I was like, I don't know about all that. But they're basically saying, bet the stock will fail. And I was like, eh. Then along came Trump. And what happened? All of a sudden, the media couldn't shut up. Everybody needed to know Trump, Trump, Trump. All of a sudden, these newsrooms layoffs paused. All of a sudden, Twitter started gaining users. Why? Because people wanted to follow Donald Trump. The economy did really, really well in, in, the, in the years where Trump came into office. There was that famous quote where, you know, Barack Obama said, you can't reach 4% growth, you need a magic wand. And then Trump started mocking the comment saying, we did it. And then Trump leaves. And now we are going back to the way it's supposed to be. And I say that somewhat facetiously, but what I mean is Trump wasn't supposed to win. They didn't want Trump to win. They were mad Trump won. But boy, did they milk it for everything it was worth, the Trump era. And now, with with Trump out of office, things are going to go back to the way they were before Trump. Nobody cares about Biden, which is unfortunate. He will go blow up uh, kids in other countries. There will be war. There will be authoritarianism. And the only people are going to talk about it are going to be people like us. But already I can see it. There are many people that are there. There are many people that just don't care. They're shifting back to entertainment and I don't blame them. I got to be completely honest. Part of me doesn't want to talk about half this stuff most of the time, but the channel you're on right now is pretty much my political and cultural political channel. So we're going to do that. But I remember on Timcast IRL talking about movies and pop culture, and that's what we're doing more of on that show. And perhaps why Timcast IRL is growing so quickly, because we'll talk about cultural issues and dating and movies and these kind of concepts outside of the political space. We always knew politics was fleeting. Ask anybody who covers this stuff. I got a bunch of friends, you know, uh, Luke, for instance, you guys may know Luke from the Timcast IRL podcast. He's currently on vacation. We'll see if he makes it back this way. But Luke and I have known this going back since we started. Whenever there's an election, news spikes, everybody's interested in politics, ad rates are skyrocketing. And then as soon as it's over, everything goes back down. These news outlets didn't budget for this stuff. They created a pseudo reality where there were newsrooms that weren't really newsrooms. They were just I hate Trump rooms. It was places where they can get people and say, what can we say about Trump today to make him look bad? And it ended up with record with record voter turnout. 80 plus million people voted for Joe Biden. I know there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of people that say, I don't know about all that. Listen, man, you'd be surprised. You go around and ask people, people who are like, I've got a bunch of friends who never cared about politics. And all of a sudden they're like, well, for the first time in my life, I actually paid attention and voted. And I'm like, I don't think you actually paid attention. I think there was such an insane desperation to deal with Trump that you had this massive inflation of media. And the only things we were getting was just slammed and inundated with orange man bad. Now the money's gone. And with it are all of these people. I don't I don't think I show you this one tweet, but I, I do want to show you. Emma Gray says, today I got laid off at Huffington Post after a decade of work I am so incredibly proud of. I am one of 47 of my deeply, beautifully funny and talented and wonderful and kind colleagues who lost their jobs today. I'm the most I'm the most sad that we can't all hug each other. Also hire me. And many journalists are saying, I'm so sorry. Stupid decision. It's such a bummer. It is interesting that a woman who worked for a decade at Huffington Post is laid off. But it's because BuzzFeed bought Huffington Post. BuzzFeed acquired Huffington Post. They're consolidating. I remember before Donald Trump, 
we started seeing like Vice, for instance, because I, I, I was the founding member of Vice News. For those that aren't familiar, I was the first hire brought on basically saying, here's what we should do and here's how we should do it. I remember they used to have a bunch of different websites. It was Vice. It was Motherboard. It was the Creators Project. They were all different. And then I remember sometime after I left, they smashed them all into one. It was obvious to anybody what was going on wasn't going to work and that it was just not sustainable. The CEO of Vice said there was going to be a bloodbath in digital media. Then along came Trump and everything changed. All of a sudden, things started working again. I think there's some here. Here's the optimism. Let me let me let me wrap it up with these final thoughts. The culture war has been ramping up. And it's because of the insane psycho uh, psycho drivel that's being written by a lot of these outlets. Well, not with these people being fired. Maybe things will calm down. Maybe we can get back to having conversations around cultural politics and um, ideas and philosophies and things like that. That's the optimism. Laying these people off may result in something better because now the only people that are truly paying attention are those that are truly interested. You can't milk the uninitiated, low information voters anymore. They're not here. What's left? Well, it's no wonder that Glenn Greenwald is doing well and I'm doing well. The people who are watching this content are more likely to be thinking critically and watching a variety of content. I have a ton of people who tell me they watch Jimmy Dore and Kyle Kalinske and they also follow me. We all clearly have our disagreements, but we all agree on on many certain things, criticizing the establishment. The people that are watching politics now are the people who like politics, who care about policy, who care about these issues and these cultural issues and know about them. They are not the people who are going to go to Huffington Post and click an orange man bad article. Which means these outlets are going to be forced to start writing things that'll do better. So I hope. For those reasons, I believe things will start to improve. And I'm optimistic. As I, I, I believe it was Michael Malice who said, the propaganda, if, 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 they were, uh, if, they were, if they were winning, the propaganda would not be necessary. Meaning they're losing and they're desperately trying to pump out this narrative. There's a possibility that in their desperation, as things collapse, they become more and more unhinged and write ridiculous stories about like whatever petty drama they can drum up. Maybe they'll try and write about some squabble between two people that has nothing to do with politics. They'll focus on Marjorie Taylor Greene. They'll scream insurrection because they're desperate. But regardless of that, I think they can try and maybe it'll work. I think it won't. Because like I said, those people that were interested in the rage beige garbage articles have left a while ago. As soon as Joe Biden became president, they were gone. They're not paying attention anymore. They're not going to click your articles and you can write whatever stupid BS you want about, you know, Q and Trump supporters or whatever. But those people just aren't there to click the button anymore. They may be very concerned about it. There may be remnants of this. But like with Barack Obama's supporters, every single one of these people was screaming war, bad, war, bad, war, bad. Dick Cheney and George W. Bush got us in these wars and they're evil. What happened when Barack Obama got elected? Those people vanished just like that. They were gone. And that whole narrative, that anti-war message was just gone. So here we are. I think it's entirely possible that this is really good news for all of us. The smear pieces against alternative media may become worse because they're desperate, but they won't hold that much weight because no one's paying attention anymore. We do have a couple more years. I think we're going to start seeing in the next year, politicking will ramp up. Those who are running in 2022 in the midterms will start campaigning very early. If not, they're already campaigning now. So it may all come back. But I'm optimistic. I am in this in this regard, at least. 
We'll see how this affects everything. We'll see how it plays out. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. It is a live show, so come and hang out. It is my birthday, by the way. So uh, you better come and hang out, and I will see you then. Thanks for hanging out. The new editor-in-chief for Teen Vogue, one of the wokest leftist publications, is under fire because when she was like 17 years old, she posted offensive tweets. Seriously. It's, it's look, it, when this stuff cycles back and crashes into the face of these people, it's just kind of hilarious. This is a, this is a corrupt journalist, and we'll get into this. She is corrupt, and a corrupt journalist getting a job at a woke publication is called out by the woke at the publication because she 10 years ago wasn't woke enough and was offensive. It's amazing how this stuff works, doesn't it? So let's talk about the corrupt journalist and the backfiring of their stupid cancel culture nonsense. But I do want to point out the philosophical conundrum here. All right. Andrew Cuomo. And just hear me. Andrew Cuomo. He's a governor in New York. He killed like 15,000 people. Uh, Also, I think Governor Tom Wolf and like Gretchen Whitmer did similar things. But let's let's talk about Cuomo because this one's specific. He orders sick uh, COVID patients. uh, I think recovering, but people who have COVID into nursing homes. He's told by these nursing homes, you're going to kill people. You're going to introduce the virus. He doesn't care. He then covers everything up. And what happens? Did the Democrats come out outraged saying this? This is a monstrous behavior. No, they didn't care. They did not care. Now, when the cover up got exposed, I think the second time, like we realized the first we learned the cover up, then we learned the cover up was worse. Then they started saying, well, this is pretty bad. But it was only after Andrew Cuomo got me tooed by like four women where they like, it's time for him to resign. I love it. Andrew Cuomo can be corrupt as they come, burn New York City to the ground, and they only come after him because he crossed the woke, the, the, the woke Arati, the woke, the woke Twitterati, whatever you want to call it, call it. Now I bring you to this, I'll do air quotes, journalist. Teen Vogue staffers call out new editor-in-chief over anti-Asian tweets, also homophobic ones. I, ca- I call her corrupt because she was involved in this story where she was, she was covering the White House while dating somebody in the administration. That is corruption. And it became big news. And conservatives were like, whoa, conflict of interest here. But nothing happens. These news outlets won't do anything about it. She's not held accountable. There's no calling out, you know, there's no people saying fire her immediately. This is this is a major conflict. And then what happened was apparently the guy she was dating started threatening another journalist. And and we're talking about extreme levels of corruption where it's like, I'm going to report on this story. Y'all are doing something wrong. I will destroy you. The guy actually said, I will destroy you. Okay, he said something like that. Only now, when they discovered that 10 years ago she posted offensive tweets, are they trying to get her fired? Think about what that means, okay? Cuomo can kill people. This journalist can violate every standard ethic of journalism, and they don't care. But you cross the woke, and they will come for you. Let me show you something before. I'll read you the story, and I'll show you the criticism. They wrote like this letter, they're trying to get her fired. Check this out. The New York Times in a glorious puff piece, Teen Vogue selects its next top editor, the political reporter Alexi McCammond. Miss McCammond, 27, covered the 2018 midterm elections and Joseph Biden's presidential campaign for Axios. I don't care that when she was like 17, she said stupid things. A lot of people say stupid things when they're young. Okay, I care 
that she is unethical and doesn't take her job seriously. Well, the New York Times basically writes this beautiful piece. She, was, she made her name covering MSNBC. Oh, thank you, New York Times. You see how they never get held accountable for the horrible, horrible things they do. Now, the New York Times does go on, go on to mention, I will destroy you, quote. This is amazing. Look at this. Let's talk about how corrupt this person is. And, and I'm showing you this to stress the point that she's only getting threatened with losing her job now because she crossed the woke 10 years ago. The New York Times says, uh, Ms. McCammon was a secondary figure in an early test for the Biden administration that centered around her boyfriend, T.J. Ducklow, who resigned last month from his job as deputy White House press secretary. They started dating when she was covering the Biden campaign, and Mr. Ducklow was its press secretary. Serious violation of journalistic ethics. Earlier this year, Politico told Mr. Ducklow, who has battled lung cancer, that it planned to write an item on the relationship. As Vanity Fair later reported, Mr. Ducklow tried to intimidate the political reporter writing the article, uh, write, writing the article the writing, the, the author, they mean Tara Palmieri telling her, I will destroy you. That's a quote. Before the political item appeared, people published an exclusive feel good account of the relationship under the headline reporter foregoes covering president as romance blossoms with Biden aid battling cancer. Didn't think twice. She didn't. That's not true. Many people pointed out that she was still actually working on administration stories in a serious breach, uh, a serious conflict of interest. Well, nobody cares, apparently. And this is where we end up now. Teen Vogue staffer. So, so apparently she leaves Axios and she goes to work for like the wokest of woke publications. Teen Vogue. I thought Vogue was, gonna, was supposed to be like this uh, fashion and glamour magazine. Hey, far be it from me from knowing what Teen Vogue is about. I don't read it, nor have I really ever, except their Karl Marx piece. No joke. Teen Vogue wrote about like Karl Marx, why he's great. It's like, okay, like, I don't know what Teen Vogue is supposed to be, but it doesn't seem like <laughs> what it's supposed to be. Alexi McCammon is a woman of color. She is a prominent reporter and she was brought on as the uh, editor in chief and they're coming after her. Check it out. Teen Vogue staff staffers openly slammed their newly hired editor in chief on Monday over recently resurfaced tweets she made that mocked Asian people. More than 20 employees of the digital publication said in a statement, they penned a letter to parent company Condé Nast about hiring former Axios political reporter Alexi McCammond. The company announced on Friday that McCammond, 27, had been tapped to lead the fashion title, which frequently tackles political issues. My friends, Teen Vogue is a fashion magazine that writes about Marx. Okay. She was recently embroiled in a media scandal involving the Biden administration after her boyfriend, a White House deputy press secretary, threatened a political reporter looking to expose their relationship. He ultimately resigned. Over the weeks, a series of since deleted tweets that McCammon posted in 2011 when she was a teenager resurfaced on social media. I'm telling y'all now, delete your Twitter histories. Don't play any stupid games. These people just don't get it, man. I think I purged a decade of tweets because Twitter has no upside. You, you go follow me on Twitter and I explain I am now actively engaged in anti-tweeting. I've long said that I don't like Twitter. I'm going to stop using it. And then I realized it's not enough to just not use Twitter. We must actively be anti-tweeting. You know what I mean? And the only the only cure to tweet past tweeting is future future tweeting. That's anti-tweeting. If you're tweeting in a way that that is you know, counter to the way you used to. I, I, I don't know if you get the bit, but whatever. Let's read. They say over the weekend, a series of since deleted tweet were, were emerged, quote, and now Googling how to not wake up with swollen Asian eyes. One of the tweets said 
She then goes on to talk about a bunch of really bad Asian stuff. Wow, she really doesn't like Asians. I'm not surprised. The tweets were shared in a now viral Instagram post by Diana Su, sweet, an editor at the website The Infatuation, who wrote, I'm tired of big media organizations pretending to give a damn about diversity and inclusion. Me too. Wow. I agree with this person. This especially is a slap in the face given what's happened to Asian Americans in the past year. So we added, referring to the recent uptick in hate crimes targeting Asian Americans. I got to admit, I, uh, I agree. I do. I wonder if this individual is actually complaining about wokeness and saying she wants more diversity and inclusion. I actually think if you if you're talking about like the core definition of what diversity and inclusivity is, I'm like, sure, that's fine. Typically, when they say diversity and inclusion, they often mean exclusivity. So, you know, we'll see what she really means. You know, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. They mention what the actual F says Olivia Munn, because she's a paragon of punditry. Online fashion industry watchdog Diet Prada also shared the post and called out Condé Nast writing a simple Google search would have shown what McCammon said. So effing what? I can't stand these people. I can't stand the manipulation, the fake news, the false framing, the propaganda. But so what? She was 17. She deleted the tweets. What more is she supposed to do? I think she, people should be complaining. She's corrupt. She was dating a guy she was supposed to be covering. She was covering the Biden campaign. Okay. And then she started dating the press secretary for the campaign. And she continued dating him while he worked for the administration and she was covering them. Absolute corruption. But this, are you making me defend this lady now? Quote, you can debate all you want about how reflective some decade old tweets are of someone in the present. But for a publication as progressive as Teen Vogue, the choice leaves us scratching our heads. Were there absolutely no other qualified people? Amazing. Yeah, maybe. uh, I I don't know. Maybe they could have found a white male for you to complain about. It appears the tweets first circulated in 2019 when McCammon issued an apology on Twitter. She said, today I was reminded of some past insensitive tweets, and I am deeply sorry to anyone I offended. I have since deleted those tweets as they do not reflect my views or who I am today. And I agree. She's probably telling the truth. I really doubt she is going to be tweeting this stuff and saying these things. It's 10, 10 years later. Well, at the time, it was eight years later. In their public statement, the Teen Vogue staffers noted that they had built our outlet's reputation as a voice for justice and change. We take immense pride in our work and in creating an inclusive environment. That's why we have written a letter to management at Condé Nast about the recent hire of Alexi McCammond as our new editor in chief in light of her past racist and homophobic tweets. Quote, we've heard the concerns of our readers and we stand with you in a moment of historically high anti-Asian violence. And amid the ongoing struggles of the LGBTQ community, we as the staff of Teen Vogue fully reject those sentiments. We are hopeful that an internal conversation will prove fruitful in maintaining the integrity granted to us by our audience. Condé Nast defended their decision to hire McCammond while pointing out that she apologized for the social media posts. So you're saying she confessed? She admitted to doing it? Alex, she should have said she got hacked. Oh, I was hacked. That, oh, that's a long time ago. Alexi McCammon was appointed editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue because of the values of inclusivity and depth she has displayed throughout her journalism, the company said in a statement. Throughout her career, she has dedicated herself to being a champion for marginalized voices. All right. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody knows the game is fixed. Okay. These journalists can violate every norm, every ethic, and they just keep getting hired. You had the guy from BuzzFeed who was caught spying on other companies. Boom, he got a new job. You got the other guy who was caught plagiarizing. Boom, he gets another job. Welcome to the revolving door of corrupt journalism. It's how it works. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Now, they hired her, I suppose, 
for whatever reason, and she's being called out. They wrote this letter. And I, I, I want to read the letter as to what they said, but I want to I want to point out something. The reason I brought up Cuomo, how should we feel about this if she gets fired? She's a corrupt journalist. Should she be fired for past tweets? This is the problem. Andrew Cuomo is a creepy creepo who put out a statement where he's like, I did not inappropriately touch any women. And there's literally a photo of him grabbing a woman's whole head. And I'm like, dude, I'm pretty sure grabbing someone's head is inappropriate, appropriate and creepy. So your opinion of inappropriate doesn't hold much weight with me after seeing that photo, especially. Should he resign because of the Me Too stuff? I got to be honest. Maybe. Yeah, I, I say maybe because some of these are like he made inappropriate comments. And I'm like, eh, if it was repeatedly doing this and there are a bunch of women, maybe it's indicative of his behavior and we should get rid of him. But I'm like, the dude should resign or be impeached for literally killing elderly people. I want I want the, sh- the trial, the press to be like, dude kills elderly, fire him. I want this journalist to get fired for being corrupt, for violating journalistic ethics. Instead, she's rewarded. She was rewarded with an editor in chief position at a major publication, a, a crazy one, in my opinion. But hey, that's Teen Vogue. After she was called out for this unethical behavior, they said, let's give her the top spot at Teen Vogue. That is to me. An incredible, incredible indictment of our journalistic institutions. And now we have this. And I wonder, should we take the win? You know, is it really a win when she gets fired for being a dumb teenager? And I, I, and here, here's the problem. If she is allowed to be the editor in chief, this corrupt individual, she will spew slime and decay all over what's left of the withered husk that is the fourth estate. So, <laughs> Should we, should, you know, so, so it's bad for us. If she gets fired for this, then I think it's an affront to normal human decency. She tweeted dumb things. I'm not going to condemn her 10 years later for this stuff. She should be fired for being corrupt. But what if that keeps her out of this position? And I'm sitting here going like, hmm, it is an ethical conundrum, to say the least. A comment and let me know what you think, actually. Should, should we just be like, well, fire her, fire her. We'll take whatever we can get to get rid of these corrupt people. Or should we defend the rights of free speech, even if it means a corrupt journalist is rewarded with a prominent position? You see how, you see how this works? It is not easy. This is, this is the big challenge. I almost think she must be allowed to keep the job because her tweets should not be the reason she's removed. But she should be fired and not given the job because she's an unethical, corrupt, air quotes, journalist. So what's better? The ends justifying the means? Man, I don't know if I have the answers. Here's what Teen Vogue wrote. They said, as more than 20 members of the staff of Teen Vogue, we've built our outlet's reputation as a voice for justice and change. We take immense pride in our work and in creating an inclusive environment. That's why we have written a letter to management at Condé Nast about the recent hire of Alexi McCammond as our new editor-in-chief in light of her past racist and homophobic tweets. We've heard the concerns of our readers, and we stand with you. In a moment of historically high anti-Asian violence, and amid the ongoing struggles of the LGBTQ community, we as the staff of Teen Vogue fully reject those sentiments. We are hopeful that an internal conversation will prove fruitful in maintaining the integrity granted to us by our audience. I don't even think they're going to fire her over this. I don't even think it's necessarily what the staff members are saying, perhaps trying to stop her from getting hired in the first place. We also have this from Diet Prada, and they said, let's talk about Condé Nast HR and this questionable hire for Teen Vogue editor-in-chief. It's interesting to me that they said, we were scratching our heads over this. And I'm like, why? Because she didn't pass your purity test? You know what, man? 
maybe I'm all for it. And I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm not for this kind of weird PC cult in, in my companies or where I work, and I wouldn't stand for it. There have been businesses that I've gone to, right? So I, 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 there was one comic shop that I used to go to, and I, you know, I play Magic the Gathering, and I'm looking for cards and, and things like that. And they had a bunch of the freaky cult symbol, uh, symbolism in the windows. They had uh, statements about safe spaces and signs and certain anti-this and anti-that. And I'm like, that's not a safe space. Because the people who fly these flags are seen on video being particularly violent, and it's very clearly tribal virtue signaling. I think that's kind of creepy. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of that in my business, but I'll tell you this. If big, powerful, prominent publications have these rules, and they're going to start firing everybody who said a naughty word, then these companies are going to collapse. So why not just let them? If, if they want to be more pur- puritanical lunatics and they're like, when you were 17, you said offensive things like, oh, yeah, wow, I, w- I wonder what 17 year old didn't say offensive things. If they're going to start firing, OK, great. Then the companies won't be able to hire anybody. And no matter who they hire, you can find something. There's a post on the uh, uh, the barracks. It's B-E-R-R-I-C-S. For those that aren't familiar, it is one of the most prominent skateboarding publications. And on their Instagram, they asked, how do people feel about cancel culture? It was really interesting to see a skateboarding brand ask people how they feel about cancel culture. And most people were like, it's bad. I'm scared to express myself. I'm scared to say my opinion. And I'm like, these are all really, really bad things. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm worried with like things like Teen Vogue doing this. It actually will start spreading out to apolitical communities like skateboarding. However, there's the inverse to that. If Teen Vogue nukes themselves, then maybe people will start laughing at them. And that's what we need to do. If regular people are pointing out that it's stupid and absurd, then perhaps they are just burning their own ideology to the ground with their puritanical morality testing. In that post, though, someone said, it's just accountability. Why is anyone scared about scared about being held accountable? Like, if you didn't do anything wrong, what are you worried about? And you can go to these people's profile and find 100 things that they've can, they can be canceled for. The issue is that these people who post nonsense on Instagram to small followers and who don't pay attention don't realize what's happening. Sometimes people get canceled for fake tweets. There have been uh, people who have shared fake tweets about like various politicians, and then the media comes out and condemns them, and it's never corrected. There have been individuals accused by, you know, they take videos, they cut them out of context, and then they try and destroy your careers. Cancel culture is not about saying like, you did something wrong, so you must be held accountable. That's what they try and say it is. Sure. Sometimes she said something wrong. She must be held accountable. She was. She apologized. We're done with it, right? She was a teenager. She said something dumb. But sometimes they'll take a video of you, you know, and they'll cut it together and they'll take it out of context. This is what really freaks me out when you see, you see a lot of these videos on, on Reddit where it's like there was one recently where there was a black guy filming a white woman and he's yelling at her, accusing her of being a, a racist Karen because she did something wrong. But you never see her do anything wrong in the video. And then everyone in the comments like, yeah, you get her. You, you tell her that's that racist. And I'm just like, that lady was just standing there timidly, not saying anything. We don't know if she did anything at all. If there's a video of a woman, you know, a Karen doing these things, by all means, call it out. But in a lot of these videos, it's filmed after the, the, the event supposedly happened. Like, I, I started filming afterwards. It's like, well, I don't know what happened, dude. So this guy who, who comments saying, you know, on the, on the Barrett's post, 
I just think people, you know, are scared of being held accountable. I'm like, what happens when someone photoshops a photo of you doing something offensive? What happens when they take something out of context? What happens when you're doing your job? Or how, how about this? When I was in Germany with Luke Rudkowski, there's a, a photograph where I guess Lauren Southern was there. A bunch of people were there. I know Lauren, of course. And someone took a photo and there was a German journalist in the background and another journalist, a reporter, an American reporter in the background as well. Simply by nature of being in the photograph, walking the other direction. This is the crazy thing. Like Lauren was like walking in the background a certain direction and there were journalists walking forward. And then what happened was they beat the crap out of out of these journalists. They tried stealing one guy's camera. Why? He was simply in the photo walking a different direction. Any sane person would be like, he's not walking the same direction as her. He must not be with her. They didn't care. They did not care. They were like, doesn't matter. You're in the photo. They said it. You're you're a Nazi. It's over. That's the problem with this extremism, with the far left, with cancel culture. So I don't know. You comment. Tell me what you think. Should we just demand this woman be fired? Should we wield fire against fire? I don't believe the ends justify the means because we never meet the ends. If we create a world based on this ideology and entertain it, you only make things worse. Engaging in cancel culture just makes more cancel culture because people realize it's a weapon they can use. Some people seem to think that accelerationism will cause it to explode. The pressure will get too great. Once the left starts getting canceled, they'll immediately try and stop it. Maybe or maybe they'll just laugh and be like, thanks for agreeing with us. So it's tough. Ultimately, I don't read Teen Vogue, but I think Teen Vogue is a is a awful publication for the most part. But you're allowed to like whatever you want to like. So, you know, I'm not the arbiter of morality. And, you know, it's not like I'm some some uh, if, if you want to read Teen Vogue, you go read Teen Vogue, whatever you do what you want to do. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all then.